16. Krishna, Krishna, Mahabhaga, Tanatyam Gokulam Prabhu, Traktum Arhashi Devanna, Kupitam Bhakta Vatsala. Translation BBT. The coward men and women address the Lord. Krishna, Krishna, almost fortunate one, please deliver the cows from the wrath of Indra. O Lord, you are so affectionate to your devotees. Please save us also. BBT purport. At the time of Lord Krishna's birth, Gargamuni had predicted Anena Sarva Durgani Yuyam Anjasturis Jitap Bhagavatam 8. By his grace, you will easily cross beyond all difficulties. The residents of Vrindavan were confident that in such a great emergency, Lord Srinirayana would empower Krishna to protect them. That's cute, okay? They accepted Krishna's everything, and Krishna reciprocated their love. I'm going to read the Goswami speak that way. Jiva Goswami is very similar. There's not that much in the Shinnok Chakravati Tapu or Shri Goswami, so we're just going to read They repeated Krishna's name in order to attract him to their suffering because of the cold or because his name, by, by its nature, attracts the tongue. So it's the three reasons Sanatana Goswami gave for why they said Krishna Krishna. The name attracts the, the nature of the tongue. The name attracts the tongue, and? Catching Krishna's attention. Cat, catching Krishna's attention. And because they were? Cold, specifically cold. So you shouldn't, you know how when you're cold you shiver? When you shiver you might say something twice. But you're Krishna, Krishna. Shivering from the cold. Instead of just saying Krishna, you say Krishna, Krishna. All suffering is destroyed merely by uttering that name. O most fortunate Krishna, you are the highest form of fortune for us. This is been explained in the 17th chapter concerning the forest fire. Therefore, you should protect our non cows, or our vraja, or protect us from Indra. They do not mention Indra's name out of hatred, or thinking it's sinful to utter his name. Or you should save us who cannot counteract this anger of Indra. What power do I have to do this? Krishna would ask. O Lord, Prabhu, you are endowed with all powers. We have seen you subdue Kaliya with your extraordinary powers, Krishna might say. But it is not proper to show one's powers in front of the Devatas. They might reply. O Lord, affection to the devotees, there is nothing that you will not do for your devotees. Previously, they had requested Krishna and Balaram out of fear of the forest fire. Now they request only Krishna, only he could save them from this huge danger, or they had most affection for him alone. Krishna, Krishna, Mahabhara, Twanatan Gokulam Prabhu, Traktum Arhansi Devanna, Kupitava Bhakta Vatsala. Coward men and women address the Lord. Krishna, Krishna, almost fortunate one. Please deliver the cows from the wrath of Indra. Oh Lord, you are so affectionate to your devotees. Please save us also. 
So this Maha Bhagavata can mean you are most fortunate, and it can also mean, what did Sadhguru Swami say? That you are our fortune. You are giving us fortune. So here, the residents of Vrindavana are chanting Krishna's name. It's not that we are chanting Krishna's name now, and in the spiritual world we'll do something else. We won't chant anymore. Now I'm back to God, I no more chanting. <laughs> you know, there are so many processes of self-realization that are simply processes. That's like the Sangha Yoga. So it's not that in Goloka Vrindavana people are practicing the Sangha Yoga. Kundalini Yoga. They're not doing that in Goloka Vrindavana. Right? Like a Prabhupada said, there's no Varnashram really in Goloka. I mean, in Dwarka, it's funny how uh, Uddhava and Arunini have this discussion as to whether Gopakumar should be taking advice from Uddhava or Narada. And Uddhava says, he should take advice from you because you're a Brahmin and I'm a Satriya. And Narada says, what is this nonsense? We're in the spiritual world, there's no Varnashram. And Uddhava says, well, the Lord plays like that. But Prabhupada says there's no sannyasis in Goloka Vrindavan. Because there's nothing to renounce. What are you going to renounce? Krishna, the cows? <laughs> Just like, forget which one of the Goswamis. He said, I'd rather listen to the gossip of the Vrindavasis than to Vedic philosophy. Remember who said that? Which one of the Goswamis? So, because what are the Vrindavasis gossiping about? Oh, did you see that necklace Radharani was wearing? It was too big for her. Actually, it was Krishna's. I know. And she was wearing the wrong cloth. Did you see what color? You know, that's their gossip, right? Did you hear that Maliasora tied up Krishna right between two trees that fell down? How could she have done that? So that's their gossip. And, and so there's no sannyas. Like, you know, the ordinary sannyasis, they give up gossip. But in the spiritual world, you don't give up gossip. So the, my point is the processes that are done here for self-realization are not necessarily the ones that are practiced in the spiritual world. But chanting the holy name of the Lord is. Chanting the holy name is both the process and the perfection. Just like in this world, if uh, you give someone a flower... Right, especially uh, that's done between romantic partners. Like they give each other flowers, especially the men give the women flowers. So why do they do that? They do that to express love that already exists, but they also do it to produce love and to increase love, isn't it? Right? Even at the beginning of a romantic relationship, the man may give his lady friend a flower. And you may do that after they've been married for 40 years. Both. So chanting the holy name of the Lord both awakens our love of God and it expresses love that's already awakened. Does this make sense to everyone? And again, this is true even materially with saying somebody's name. And when I was a teenager, there were a number of, of songs, popular songs, where it was just focused on someone's name. You know, there was one, Hey Paul, Hey Paula, and Gloria, and Rhonda, I forget. But, you know, some song where they're focusing on the name of someone that they love. Yes? 
So this is in the material world. And after you love somebody, you also like to say their name. Actually, it's kind of funny, my, my preaching strategy. So my middle sister had become a, she married a rabbi, and she'd become an ultra-Orthodox Jew. Like, ultra-ultra-Orthodox. And it was, it was a blessing for me in one way, because my mother had always been in opposition to my practicing Christian consciousness, like vehement opposition. Thank you, Christian, she never tried to have me deprogrammed, but she was like really vehemently opposed. And she used to say things like, if you want to be really religious, why don't you be an Orthodox Jew? Why do you have to be an Orthodox Hindu? <coughs> then my sister became an Orthodox Jew. And uh, my mother didn't like that very much. Because my sister became more orthodox than my mother. And she told my mother, we don't want you visiting, we don't want you to have any connection with my daughter because I don't want my daughter thinking that Jewish women can wear pants. So I don't want my daughter to see you because you're not strict enough for us. So that after my daughter, my sister became so fanatic, such a fanatic, born-again orthodox Jew, then my mother said to me one day, you know, actually, your Hinduism is nicer than your sister. Uh, so my sister became very, very, my middle sister became very, very fanatic. And uh, she basically disowned me. Because among the Jews, like among the Amish, you know, if you leave the community, you're shunned. It's like you're, they even sometimes have a funeral for you. You know, that like you're dead. And because my husband came from a Lutheran family, that was double whammy, you know, and so... My sister didn't talk to me for, for very many years. After her oldest son died, I was able to call her, offer my condolences. Basically, she didn't have anything to do with me. Anyway, then she was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I said, you know, I'd like to see you. So she agreed to meet me in New York at my mother's house. But she didn't want to see my kids. So she said, I'll just talk to you outside. <laughs> and mostly she tried to convince me that I should give up chanting Hare Krishna and become uh, an Orthodox Jew like her. That was the name. Three weeks before she died, she agreed that we could visit her in her home. It's the only time that I ever visited her in her Orthodox home. So my mother, my older sister, my oldest sister's husband, and myself all drove out. And uh, she said, but you know, don't wear your saris. And so I went in Western clothes. And I was thinking, okay, my sister's going to die. She died, I think, three weeks later. She's going to die soon. And what can I do to benefit her? How can I benefit her somehow or other? How can I give her? She's a very religious person, but So some way I can give her something with Christian consciousness, and I thought, that's going to be pretty hard to do that. And I ended up sneaking a couple drops of radical water into her water. But the main thing that I decided to do was to talk about my children, because they all have spiritual names. So I use their legal names. Uh, I remember if they appreciated the time. So I kept saying, yeah, Madhava did this, and Yuna did this, and Keshu did this, and then when I saw Keshu did the other, every time I talked about them, I didn't use any pronouns. I didn't say I saw him, or I saw her, or I, I just kept, you know, using their names. And she wasn't going to object, saying, and when we left there, my mother looked at me in the car and said, you don't usually talk about your children so much. So I was there, always chanting Madhava, Keshava, Muna, you know, uh, to my sister. <laughs> I thought that 
was right before we left, she gave me a hug. It was interesting, though. She said, uh, I, I'm afraid of the judgment. She said, I'm afraid I'm, I'm too sinful and I won't, I won't get through the judgment. So I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, the devotees, they like to chant the holy name. Uh, somehow or other, right? Uh, she could accept that I was chanting the names of my children because I had affection for my children. This is a normal thing in the world, isn't it? That you say the names of people that you love. So here we're finding Sanatana Goswami is giving three reasons for chanting the name of Krishna. What were they again? Does anybody know? Without looking up. Attract Krishna's attention. Attract Krishna's attention. They were cold. They, they were, were suffering. Cold. And? They like it. They're saying, Krishna, Krishna, because they're getting so much pleasure out of chanting Hare Krishna. Just like this word Mahabhagya. Oh, Krishna, you are the most fortunate. Sanatana Swami says it also means you are bringing us fortune. So it attracts Krishna's attention. Do all of us perk our ears up when someone says our name? Yeah? Remember one time I was talking with some devotees, I think it was at a beach or something, where like lots and lots of people were talking and walking by on the boardwalk, and it, it just becomes this kind of blur of noise, right? Around like there's hundreds of thousands of people all talking and all the conversations just going to this sort of amorphous sound. But then somebody said my name. Somebody walking by said my name. And it, it popped out of the general noise. Have you all had that experience? There's this like general noise and someone's the people talking and you can't make out any distinct words in anyone's conversation. But when someone says your name, you hear it. Isn't that a fact? So Krishna's also like that. Shri Prabhupada writes in Krishna book in the story of Krishna fighting with Jambavan that Krishna has all of the natural propensities that we do. Just like it says in the Bible, we're made in the image of God. We can understand something of Krishna by us. So Krishna perks up, oh, you're talking to me. And it's, it's so extreme that if you say, I'm going to the Sinarama, he pays attention. You know? Or if you say, this is George Harrison, who probably said, oh, you are Harry's son. Krishna pays attention to the Muslim being killed by a pig who's saying, Hare condemned, Haram, Haram, Krishna says, oh, you're talking to me. Or Jamila, you know, we had this little boy in Raya. And Raya, please sit down. Sit down, Raya. Sit down. Eat your meal. Raya. Why did you not go for the trash can? And Krishna says, oh, you're talking to me. So what do we speak of when we're actually talking to He becomes very attentive. And Sanatana Goswami says he's particularly attentive to relieve our distress. Again, we're very much like that. Don't we want to relieve the distress of people we care about? Like it's, it's really interesting, this whole crowdfunding phenomena that's come up in recent years. Well, people are very eager. Someone's in distress, so let me help them. Isn't it so? Krishna's also like that. 
What to speak of is devotees in distress. Now, you might think, actually my daughter made a video on this yesterday, that you might think that when you're calling Krishna, Krishna will leave my distress, that it's selfish. Uh, Krishna Das discusses this point very deeply in Anilila chapter 3, that it may look like the devotees in Vrindavan are interested in Bhukti and Murti. Which Rupa Goswami says, if you're interested in Bhukti and Murti, that's a prime disqualification for taking up your devotional service. Now that doesn't mean if we have any lingering desires for Bhukti and Murti that we're finished, because he also says the qualification for Bhakti is not to be too attached or too detached. Interesting. To detach means really into liberation, to attach means really into sense gratification. But to go to Krishna for that purpose, you know, to go to God, okay, the reason I'm going to God is to get liberation, or the reason I'm going to God is to get wealth. Just like they say someone marries for money, it's uncountable. Who wants to marry someone who's marrying for your money? Like, yuck. Now, some white people might marry because they love you, but they also might be happy that you have money. So this is described especially like the residence of Vaikunta, described by Bhakti, you know, in his commentary on Shiksha, text 4, that the residence of Vaikunta, they want to enjoy the opulences of Narayana with Narayana, not separately. Like I had a friend who told me that he was really happy to have rich friends because then when he hung out with his rich friends, they would take him on their yacht and when they had parties for their children, their, his children would also go to the bouncy castles and see the crowns from his rich friends. But he also, the main reason he was with them was because they were his friends. If they lost all their money, he'd still be their friend. So that's the residents of Vaikunta have this mood. And as beginning devotees, we may also sometimes say, Krishna, Krishna, can you help with this? I'm sorry to ask you. And better ask Krishna than to try to do something separately from Krishna. So it's not that I go to Krishna and say, Krishna, I just want pure devotion. Oh, let's see. What am I going to do myself to get this? And what am I going to do myself to get this? And what am I going to do to set myself to have this? Because one of the items of surrender is saying that I'm not independent in fulfilling my desires. And it's nice to explain that even if we go to Krishna to ask for our material desires, if there's affection, Krishna's pleased with that. So to be in pure devotional service, our primary motivation for going to Krishna has to be to please him and to learn to love him, although we may still have other desires. But these residents of Vrindavan, they, they don't have any other desires. So why is it that they're saying Krishna's name to attract his attention to relieve their distress? Because they know that Krishna likes to play the hero. This is the same reason the coward boys decide to go into the mouth of Agasura. Even though Krishna didn't want them to. Krishna's like, hey, don't go in there, it's a demon. And they were like, oh, Krishna killed Bakasura, and he, Krishna will save us, and they're just marching into Augustus now. Because they know Krishna likes to be a hero. That's natural. Everyone, especially men, they like to be a hero. It's natural. You know, but all of us, we, we like to save people, we like to think, yes, I've done something good. 
And I saved this person. So Krishna enjoys that. So they're calling out to him for his pleasure. From their point of view, it doesn't matter to them. Just like the last verse of the Shikshastika, whatever you do to me, your If you want me to die, Krishna, you want me to live? That's okay. You want me to have some property? Well, it's fine. You want me to have property? Fine. Whatever makes you happy. But I know you like to save your devotees. So Krishna, Krishna, would you like to have fun saving us? And then another reason is brought out in the Kali pastime to which Nathan Goswami alludes in the Sika, that, you know, in the Kali pastime, Krishna was in danger and the residents of Vrindavan were almost dying. Because Krishna was in danger in Balaram, according to uh, Kavikanik, only none of them Chapu, I can say. It might be the whole Chapu. He says, Krishna, Krishna, these are not the residents of Vaikuntha or even the monkey associates of Ram. These are not even the associates of Dwarka. These are your rich Vasis, and they're going to die if you die. And then what will happen? How will you feel if all the residents of Vrindavan die? Your heart will be broken. So they're also saying Krishna, Krishna, because they're saying, Krishna, if all your cows die, if we all die, you're going to be sad. That reminds me of the pastime with Mahaprabhu, one of the finest pastimes, where he asks his mother, he's, he's young, he's a child, he asks his mother, can I please have a garland to worship the Ganga? And as every mother says to her child, when the child asks for something, not now, please wait. Krishna says that to us too, by the way. They said there's many ways that God answers prayers. Yes, no, I have something better for you, and not now. <laughs> so Mother Saji said, not now, in a minute. And when Krishna got angry that Mother Soda said, I'll finish breastfeeding you in a minute. I have to take care of the milk. So when Mahaprabhu, when Mother Satsaki said, in a minute, he's like, I want a garland now. And he had such a tantrum that he destroyed everything in the house. Like everything in the house. And then he went to sleep on the floor. And when he woke up, Satsaki said to him, this is your house. And if you want to destroy everything in your house, you can. So this is the mood of the devotee. You want to kill me? If you want to let in your flood and it's your Vrindavan. But then Satyamata said, but I don't know how to cook for you. Because you smashed all the containers of food. I mean, it must have been a royal mess. She's like, I, I can't cook anymore. And then it says, Lord Chaitanya felt a little embarrassed. Right? It's interesting how he solved the problem. Like, it's interesting how Krishna solves the problem here. He didn't just, you know, use some mystic power and just put everything back together again. I mean, he could have, but he didn't. He, he went out for a while, he came back and he brought his mother some gold so she could pay to have everything. And she could never figure out where he got it. So it's like the way Krishna solves this rain problem. He could have paralyzed Indra's arm, right? Chaitanya Muni did that. Paralyzed Indra's arm when Indra was going to kill the Asini Kumaras. 
And Krishna could have just, you know, I mean, the Sudarshan was there drying up the water during the rain. So he could have just done that, just, just made Indra's attempt impotent in some way. But instead he picks up a mountain, which is also odd. You think if it's raining, you would all go to the top of the mountain. Isn't that what you do in a flood? You go to a higher ground. <laughs> instead he picks up the mountain. So Krishna has interesting ways of solving these problems. But anyway, this is the move. We belong to you. We are yours. And therefore, if we die, you'll be very unhappy. This is the reason why the residents of Vrindavan maintain their lives when Krishna's in Mathura. They're like, if he ever wants to come back, we don't want him to find us dead. He'd be very sad. The next reason is that they were shivering from the cold. So, in shivering from the cold, you might repeat yourself, you might stutter. That's <laughs> just right, they're all shivering. So, of course, the pure devotees don't feel material happiness and distress. They're barely aware of it. Sometimes it says they're not aware of it at all. The comparisons given like an intoxicated person doesn't know whether or not they have clothes on. So when in transcendental ecstasy, they're not even aware of the bodily pains and pleasures. Or they may be aware very slightly. And Prabhupada gives the example of a businessman riding in the back of a car, and he knows where the car is going, he knows how much gas is in the car, but he's focusing on his business in the back seat. He's not focusing on driving the car. So he's putting his attention so the great devotee, they take care of their body. They're not neglectful in ordinary dealings. That's one of the unwits of bhakti, is not to be neglectful in ordinary dealings. Isn't that interesting? One of the 64 unwits of bhakti, not to be neglectful in ordinary dealings. But it's also one of the 64 unwits of bhakti, not to be affected by the happiness and distress of this world. So we may be doing that as a sadhana, but for those who are sadhya, who are perfect, they're, they're not affected. Uh, still, they can use the happiness and distress of this world as an impetus. The external situation simply becomes an excuse, an impetus. It's cold. Thank you. It's cold. For their own sense gratification, doesn't make any difference to that. But it's an impetus to reach out to Krishna. Like when they have some happy occasions, impetus to have a festival for Krishna. It says Lord Rama goes to, back to his abode where every day is a festival. Prabhupada talked about that we could have a festival every week, every Sunday. And he gave to Krishna a whole bunch of different ideas for different kinds of festivals that we could have. So the devotees, you know, they use any excuse. Oh, this star is prominent in the sky. Let's have a party for Krishna. <laughs> you know? Or, oh, there's this problem. Let's call out for Krishna. Everything being an impetus for Krishna. You know, generally materialism is exactly the opposite. If they have some great happiness, it's an impetus to forget Krishna. Like I gave the example of my godbrother, whose parents, whose wealthy parents died in a plane crash, he became a millionaire, and then he left Krishna consciousness. Or we get great distress, we forget Krishna. The god sister, her husband had a stroke, and he was sick for months, and then he died, and she said, oh, I don't want anything to do with this Krishna anymore. I took away my husband. 
So there's materially we tend to do that. If we're in great distress, we forget Krishna. If we're in great happiness, we forget Krishna. I think I told the story that Kalanga and I were having a job walk. My classes, my late classes. And this woman asked us for directions, and Kalanga said, You can follow us, we're going that way. And then Kalanga tries to convince this lady to chant Hare Krishna, which embarrassed me to move that. <laughs> Why don't you chant? And the lady looks at her and says, I'm fine. I'll, I'll pray if I have a problem. I don't have any problems right now. I don't need to pray. So this is the, which then I felt even more embarrassed. But anyway, so this is the mentality of a materialistic person. You know, I have everything together. Why should I call on God? And, you know, my life's falling apart. It's useless God. One of these two things. But the great devotees, they use these situations as impetus. To call to Krishna, to remember Krishna. Actually, we should use everything as an impetus to remember Krishna. Everything. Krishna's giving us all this in the Bhagavad Gita of all these things in life, like drinking water and seeing the sun and digesting our food as impetuses to remember Him, isn't it? Things that we do every day, throughout our day. All these descriptions of the universal form in the Bhagavatam. The clouds are his hair and his head, and the birds are his artistic sense, and the rivers are his veins, and the ocean is his waist. And everything should be giving us this impetus to cry, Krishna, Krishna. Therefore, what is the main adverb that Shiva Prabhupada used in relationship to chanting Hare Krishna? For those of you who hate and remember, I apologize. But what was the main adverb that Shiva Prabhupada used? One. Hmm? One. No. Good, sure. Good feeling? No. But good try. Like a child. Oh, you're all aiming at the same thing and you're all missing the mark. Three strikes were out. Huh? Three strikes were out. Three strikes were out. Always! Or some variety of that. Continuously, always. Now, before the Vedic base, my godbrother Gopal went through all of Prabhupada's books, all of Prabhupada's lectures, and all of Prabhupada's conversations to delineate what Prabhupada said the most often, what he emphasized the most. He came with a list. And one of the things he discovered is that the adverb Shiva Prabhupada used most, most often in terms of chanting was always or some variety of that. So why is that? Because everything, every circumstance, every emotion can act as an impetus to call for Krishna. And then, they're also always chanting, what was the third one? To attract Krishna, because they were cold, and they like it. They like chanting Krishna's name. We were saying in the beginning how there's a lot of spiritual processes that you jettison once you become perfect. We are saying there aren't sannyasis in Goloka Vrindava, there's nobody doing Kundalini Yoga in Goloka Vrindava. Nobody's doing Gyan Yoga. They're not doing that in the spiritual world.
But chanting Hare Krishna is fun. Kekalanandakanda. These other processes are not necessarily fun. They're austerities. In this world, we have to perform austerities. Krishna says in the 18th chapter, everybody, even if you're a great soul, you better do austerities, yajas, and charity. They'll purify even great souls. We have so many instances in Bhagavatam where even it says in the verses that were told by our acharyas, that even great souls may have something that they have to deal with. Like, says that Pariket was cursed because he, he'd become too attached to his family, he did an impetus. Or Druva who got angry at the Yakshas. But for those, the residents of Vrindavan, they don't have to do any tapasya. And this chanting Hare Krishna is not a tapasya. It's not an austerity. Now, we might think that way because it's called a yajna, and Srila Prabhupada uses the English word sacrifice as a translation for yajna. But it doesn't mean sacrifice as a synonym for austerity. I know the English word sacrifice is practically synonymous with the English word austerity. That sacrifice means you're giving up something pleasant, something that you don't want to give up. But Prabhupada's using the word sacrifice like a Vedic sacrifice. A yajna means some kind of ceremony of connection with the divine, some process of connection with the divine, a way of connecting with the divine. It, it does not mean austerity. And Krishna says of all of the different kinds of yajna, he is this japa. It is the most connective way to connect with Krishna. We talked about this before. Other kinds of yajnas are dependent on bodily purity. They may be dependent on mental purity. They may be dependent on certain time and place. Like I give the analogy, if I want to call my son, you know, I have to have a phone. It has to be connected. It has to be charged. I have to know his number. He has to have a phone. His phone has to be connected. His phone has to be charged. He has to be awake. And then I have to dial a specific number. So most of the Vedic yajnas in any religion, most of the ceremonies of connection, they're like that. They have to be done at a certain time, in a certain way, and you mess up a little bit, you get a girl instead of a boy. You all know that story, right? You say the mantra a little bit wrong, you get a girl instead of a boy. You say the mantra a little bit wrong, you get someone who's going to kill injured rather than someone that injured is going to kill. You say the mantra a little bit wrong, you have 49 kids who are friends of Indra instead of one kid who's an enemy of Indra. You know, just, just, get, just get a syllable wrong. Like I'm always fruitlessly telling all of you that when it's a long ah, uh, that it's aha, uh-huh, not aha, uh-huh, and you'll say aha uh-huh, anyway. So, you know, it's like, that's the problem with the Vedic Yagyas. But this non yajna is not like that. Prabhupada said you can say Krishna's name in the toilet room. You can say Krishna's name if you're drunk at Times Square on a Saturday night and Hari Nam party goes past you. You can say Krishna's name when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're old, when you're young. If you're a saintly person, if you're a fallen person, it doesn't matter. And Krishna just hears you. 
Like I said, I want to call my son, he has a small effort, so it's complicated. But when you say Krishna's name, he hears you immediately. And he responds immediately. So it's like we can have that connection anytime, anywhere. And then I'm saying this and thinking, okay, so Melissa, what's your excuse? Why don't you can't hurt Krishna all the time? That's what I'm saying. So they love to chant the holy name, and therefore saying it once wasn't enough. They have to say, Krishna, Krishna! Burjan Prabhu likes to point out that when Maharaj Prithu was asked by the Lord for a benediction, I mean, if I was asked by the Lord for a benediction, I'd say, can I go back to God in life right now? But Maharaj Prithu said, um, could I have millions of years? Isn't that an interesting thing? Now, that wasn't like Bonasur who wanted, you know, a thousand arms. He said, I want millions of years so I can always hear your glories. You know, Rupa Goswami's writing, if I had millions of years and millions of tongues, it wouldn't be enough. So that's how the real devotees are feeling about St. Krishna's name. It's so sweet. It's so nectarian. It's so wonderful that they, they can't stop saying Krishna's name. They say it twice before they get to the point. And they'd be happy just to say, just to go Krishna. Just to say Krishna's name. So, these are ways that we can follow. Prabhupada says if we follow the residents of Vrindavan to a minute degree, we can be successful. That we can chant Krishna's name to attract him, to let Krishna do what he enjoys doing with us, to attract Krishna, to own us and enjoy us and engage us in his pastimes. We can chant Krishna's name in all circumstances using him as an impetus and we can chant Krishna's name to express our love for him. In the first instance, to attract him, that Krishna, I am yours. I am saying your name to attract you to remember that I am yours. And yours to shelter, to protect, to love, to enjoy, to engage in your pastimes. I chant your name because everything reminds me of you, and I chant your name because, Mamata, you are mine, and I am never going to let go of your holy name. Fired up. Yeah. When I grew up.